is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Existential, today on the podcast, we have uh, a friend back. Letty Shoemate is back with us. Uh, our friend, uh, if you if you wa- uh, watch, if you listen to the um, episode around Juneteenth, one of the most popular episodes we've actually done, uh, when we had Letty come talk to us about what Juneteenth meant, Juneteenth, not Juneteenth, Juneteenth, <laughs> and uh, she's back. It's Black History Month. It's February, and I thought, who better to come on and talk to us about the significance of this month and this season than Letty? So, Letty, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what have you been up to? You know, um, <laughs> trying to survive, really. Uh, <laughs> not even going to lie. Um, it's somehow already February in 2021. So I was so happy to see a new year and to see um, the racist, white supremacist uh, fear get out of the White House. Um, so hey, That was nice. Right, that was good, but um, yeah, I've been good overall, though. Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. So, talk. Let's get it. Let's just jump into it right away. Then let's talk to me about. And when you were on before, we we talked about like your love for James Baldwin, right? And 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 just like how much you loved his work, things he had to say. Maybe start there. Let's we'll talk a little bit more about Baldwin. Maybe a little bit more in depth because we are in the midst of Black History Month and. A lot of people listening to the podcast maybe don't know some things about James Baldwin that you do. So maybe share something that's kind of obscure that maybe people wouldn't know or is anything that makes you like really a huge fan of, uh, as I am, of James Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I thought about was um, how James Baldwin spoke. Mm. So, and I, and I say that to people And they're like, what do you mean the way he spoke? I'm like, it's different whenever you can hear what he said Mm. and not just read what he said, right? And it's not even that he, like, did audiobooks as those weren't even a thing then, right, or anything Mm. like that. It's just his interviews. And it's just you can feel how fed up he is Mm. with America. Um, There's one that I recently posted on Instagram and he, he was in Paris, and someone stopped him um, and I guess asked him something about a black man who was near him, and he was just, he was smoking a cigarette, and he was like, this this black man, like, he could die tomorrow mm-hmm. because he's black, and that's it. And it's just the way Bowen speaks, like, you feel the conviction, and, like, you just feel the same kind of rage in a way that I feel today often. Um, but that's one thing about Baldwin. And I always encourage people to go listen to him. Like, go watch interviews with him. There's one um, that he does, and I believe it's in the early 80s. And he's like, how how much time do you want for your progress? Mm-hmm. And it's the way that he says that. Right. Where I want people to understand that these conversations that we have today about Black Lives Matter and about progress. Right. And about change is this. This is not a 21st century thing. Mm. This is just how people before us, black people before us felt 
right? Um, we also had hope. And it's um, that's why I really love Baldwin's writing, because if you didn't put the date on it, people mm. would think it was written in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's so moving about it. And just how vulnerable he was whenever it came to not holding back his truth about America. And it really didn't happen that often until he went abroad and he decided that he needed to escape in order to write freely, right? Like to have that mental space to really be black and to feel what it meant to be free. And so that's why also now whenever you have black people talking about leaving the country, right? And living somewhere else, people think it's a new thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Garvey was talking about we get a whole boatload of, of, of folks and taking them out of yeah. Space. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Baldwin is just someone who I feel so close to, mm-hmm. and I will just open up a book and I'll just start reading some of his work, or I will just read... I'll just read an essay or just listen to an interview or watch one whenever I need to just feel that feeling of someone before me understands the depth of my frustration, but also gives me, like helps me even continuously know how to show up in this space Mm. as my authentic black self. Interesting. And that's so good. So rich. Like the, the idea of hearing someone's voice say something, especially someone, you know, in, in history. I, I watched um, Judas and the Black Messiah. And even though, you know, this is a, a, um, a depiction of Fred Hampton, like I, after the movie, went and go, watched clips just to hear the voice yeah. is different like it, it just strikes you different because you can hear the pain you can hear the hope you can hear the force you can like you said you can hear the frustration the anger and i think you're right something inside of us especially as black folks says i'm connected to that rage to that hope to that like work yeah. um you know and and i wonder i'm curious to to, to hear what you think about the notion of progress because, you know, some folks, depending upon your outlook on life, some, po- some folks will say, yes, things are better today. And other folks will say it's the same as it's always been. It's just sort of morphed into something different. I- I'm curious to know what, what your take is on that. Like, do, it, do, you, do you look at the United States and say, we're making progress? Or do you look at the United States and say, <laughs> we, we all need to get out of here because it's never going to change? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I think we have made progress. However, I put that into categories because people will take that word and use it as a blanket and say, oh, but see, things are better because segregation isn't real. And I'm like, you mean blatant segregation Mm -hmm. or do you mean the covert segregation? Because that's still a real thing. There are still stores that exist in this country where black people and brown people cannot go. There are still laws that are made that allow like segregation to technically happen in some towns and cities, right? And so whenever people say that, I'm like, progress for who, right? And usually what happens with um, progress is people also want to say, well, things are better. And I say, better for who, right? And so usually people want to say, well, they're better for all of us. I'm okay, give me some examples, right, of how it's better. And so what happens is I'm not doing that to start any kind of argument. I want people to think beyond what they're thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, progress 
okay, sure, we can say that black people, for example, now have the right to vote, right? I'm like, right, but what about all the voter suppression? What about Georgia that's just now trying to pass a bill, right, to take away all of these rights Mm -hmm. that people should have? Whenever it comes to early voting, and I'm like, so is that progress or is that just, oh, well, they're just trying to just fix it a little bit, but fix it to benefit who, right? Mm-hmm. Fix it to disenfranchise who? Like, who are you not including in your narrative whenever you think about progress? And I think people mm-hmm. start asking themselves that. Like, yeah. who are you centering whenever you talk about progress? Are yeah. you talking about, like, are, are you centering your whiteness because you progress to a place where you don't feel quote unquote as guilty. Like what, what are you talking about? Wow. That's so good. So rich. Like I had a conversation uh, and it'll, it'll be on a future episode of the podcast where I was talking with, um, you know, a friend of mine um, about the idea of progress. And it's interesting because when he, when he, he, as a, he's from the UK and as he made a comment about progress, and about how quickly things have progressed, given the context of the United States. The United States is like 250 years old, you know what I mean? So as a relatively young nation, things changed rapidly. It took thousands of years for the globe to say enslaving people is inhumane, whereas in the United States, you know, whatever. And, and again, to what to your point, it's like when you're white, it's easier to call it progress than when you're black. Right. But the thing I struggled with that, like, I felt a tension on was do I, if I don't acknowledge that there's progress, do I do a disservice to the work that James Baldwin, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, that like Ida B. Wells and, and Ella Baker, that, they, that do I do a disservice to the work that they put in by, in my era, saying there's no progress? Because I wonder if, if they were alive today, like Dr. King was alive today, like would he... Would he walk around and go, wow, like if he was like frozen in time, like Captain America and came back, <laughs> would he be like, what, wait, y'all are voting? Yeah. Y'all are riding the bus? You know, like, I, I just wonder if, if not acknowledging progress on one side is dis, dishonoring them. But on the other hand, if we also have to hold, let's. It's almost like you don't want white folks to know. It's what, what I feel like. It's like, I don't want white folks to hear because I feel like they'll take advantage of it. Right. No, that's such a good point. And I actually feel like that's, you actually put that into words when I meant earlier about, I put it into category. So it's, yeah, mm. it's, it's like a twofold for me, right? It's like the progress, like, you know, like real progress, progress, or like how much we could have already progressed if it wasn't mm. for like, y'all wanting to still uphold these racist systems and white power, right? Um, but I also agree with you. Like, that's why I will tell people, no, we, we have progressed. And you mentioned Ida B. Wells. As much as Ida B. Wells did, right? Like as much as she risked her life and as much as she show the horrors of lynching in this country. Mm. I know, like I I feel at, at least that if she was here right now, uh, she would marvel at the lynching memorial that's in mm. Montgomery. I, I feel like she would be proud of that, right? I feel like she mm. would be happy about that uh, because the names that are on those columns, right, that are there, many of the names that she let the nation know about. Mm. And so I feel that she would be glad about that. I do feel 
that there is still a lot of room for progress we could have already like we yeah. we could be further along right but yeah. yeah i do agree with you Corey, about doing a disservice yeah type the james baldwin's to the ida b Wilkins, to the like to the fannie lou hamers right mm-hmm. to the the ella bakers the yeah you know they're just so yeah. names and i'm like yeah and i do think that and i also just think about our ancestors who people didn't know yeah. uh what like they survived I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, wow, someone survived the the insane, just the insane middle passage. Someone yeah. survived that. Yeah. I need to be here, to physically be here right now doing this. Yeah. Someone did that. Some Someone had enough perseverance, enough resilience. They had, yeah. And so I think about that too. And I'm like, that keeps me going sometimes yeah. is just remembering that someone did that. And I think too about my, my parents and my grandparents mm-hmm. and what they had to do. And so I, yeah. I'll speak about them. That's um, rich. That is so rich, man. I, and I, as you're talking, when you start talking about Ida B. Wells, like I felt like a, I was felt something in my soul about like mm-hmm. thinking about the black women who worked and toiled and fought but don't often get the recognition that the black men from that era get i mean when when you think about the civil rights era you know names that emerged dr king malcolm x james baldwin um you know you have you have these other names of men usually that that rise to the surface with a handful of women what have you found or or how um, I don't want to ask this because I, I, there's a question here. There's something here I want us to talk about, about just the rich history of black women. Oh, yeah. Know, um, intending for a better world. Yeah. No, I, I kind of have an idea. Um, the first thing I thought about was, and this is going to sound stereotypical starting out, but I think of Rosa Parks even, right, and how people mm-hmm. just put her on oh, she was this older black lady that just got tired. And I'm like, Rosa Parks traveled yeah. the back roads of the South as an NAACP field secretary to get the testimonies and the statements of black women who were raped by white police officers, white preachers, white sheriffs, uh, deputized white men. She used to do that. She would risk her life to do that. And people don't know that about her, mm. right? They... I sometimes get frustrated because I'm like, you took Rosa Parks and you just put her in this history book as though her life started then. You don't even take into account her humanity and what Mm -hmm. else she did and all Mm -hmm. of the black womanness that was just amazing before she decided that she was going to sit on that seat Mm -hmm. and not move. Right. Um, Mm And I think about black women like Mary Louise Smith, right, who were who was a black woman who spoke up about being sexually assaulted and what that did to even uh, ignite, help ignite the civil mm-hmm. rights movement, and also just a bigger conversation about bodily autonomy for black women and mm-hmm. black women having control over their bodies. I just think about all that stuff and how, I mean, even you can think back to. 
black enslaved women who were resisting and uh, take the time during Reconstruction whenever uh, black women were forming clubs and things like that to uplift each other. And that gets left out so much and overshadowed by the Booker T. Washingtons and, yeah, the, like, Marcus Garvey's and all of that. And even the Paul Lawrence Dunbar's. And I'm like, but what about, what about the lives of the black women like Zora Neale Hurston mm. and Maya Angelou, right? Do y'all mm, yeah. lives? Do you think about their lives? Like, do you know what Maya Angelou went through before so y'all know her now? <laughs> yeah, like, so it's like, it's so interesting, man. Like, and it's so true because when you start talking about that, it's like, you even look at like a Harriet Tubman and you, there is a, like a, a, almost like a more legend and myth about them than there is their actual history. And they don't, they don't get enough story told about them. It's like they, they get the headline, yeah, but you don't get the story. You know, I mean, like, like I, I'd love to hear more of the story of, of Emmett Till's mom um, because Emmett Till's, you know, her making the decision to leave the casket open as a mother <laughs> of a child who says, I don't know if she said in the moment, if she knew it, or if if she like what caused her to do that, but it it had such an impact yeah. on the history of the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you were absolutely right. Um there's a book by Timothy Tyson. It's called The Blood of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. And it goes into actually a little bit about Mamie Till's um, decision to keep the casket open and people think it was just an easy decision for her to come to. No, she didn't want to do it. She refused at first. Like she was adamant about absolutely not. I do not want them to see my, my boy. And I'm using that word because that's the language that that she she used. And, um, she decided to though, she was, uh, convinced by some family members and things like that and understood the bigger picture, but it wasn't something that she easily came to, right. You know, people, Look at women like her, and even like you mentioned Harriet Tubman, right? People look at her as this mythological black woman with these superpowers. And I'm like, take her out of those rafters that y'all put her in, that's not even true, and think about how much fear she must have had, right? Like, think about the swamps that she had to go through. Think about the snake bites that that she got. Think about the mosquitoes that ate her. Think about how many times she had to literally probably hide out in a place that was physically dangerous for her. Mm-hmm. She could not move. She could not do anything. Think about how often she starved. Mm-hmm. Like, think about those things, right? And then come back to me and you talk to me about Black people and enslavement and the Underground rail- Railroad and then you, it's just, I, those are things, right. That I think about, think about the actual stuff that is real life. And, you know, as a historian, people leave that out. They, Mm. they, they leave out those little details. Um, yeah. Those things that make the whole thing fit, you know, like those things that it's like, if you, you watch, um, when you watch a movie about an event that you kind of know about, like a mm-hmm. few years ago, I watched, um, I think it's called uh, Independence Day. I forget what it's called, but it's about the um, Boston Marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the event in history, but until I watched the full story, 
I didn't really appreciate the nuance of every little decision that was made to shut down the city that they found him in the boat up to big poppy of the Boston Red Sox coming out and saying, this is our effing city. Like that's the whole story. Those words like gave me chills because I'm like, oh, I know all that's behind it. And I think the significance to me of Black History Month, if we dig into it, is that we know these characters we know what they did, but we don't always know why they did it, what led to it, what's the history, what's the story behind it. And once you know the story behind it, it's it's so powerful that it should change you. Yes. Yes. You know, it should be like, it shouldn't be, and every year we see this, like where people are like, you know, educate yourself, you know, what authors should I be reading during Black History Month, yada, yada, yada. But like, I think there's something much more powerful than just that. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely agree. And I I find that's just the easy thing to do. You know, one one thing that I do whenever I'm trying to teach people about history is I don't just say, oh, we just go out and just teach yourself. You know, that's why I educate on, like, pay, Patreon. And I try to do things a little differently because I'm like, no, here's some direction, right? Like, here's some direction so then you know, like, this is what I want you to read so that you'll be moved by it, right? I don't want you to go out there and just find fluff. I I want to take the time to tell you what to go read or what to go look for. Now, I, I'm i not someone who can do that all of the time, but I do it often, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because, mm-hmm. like, I feel that conviction with what I'm called to do, and that's, mm-hmm. right, is to hopefully get people maybe to feel things, right, the depth that I feel them, because I do feel this kind of stuff so, so, so deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's really doing a disservice to black people who are still here and also who came before us to not want to really know those questions, right? Like why? Mm-hmm. And maybe I get to the depth of it. And it requires a lot of research at times. And sometimes you may assume one thing and then I'll be researching and I'm like, Oh, that's not what they did that at all. Oh, yikes. Right. <laughs> like um, I was uh, reading some about Marcus Garvey and why, Marcus Garvey and W.E.B. Du Bois did not get along, right? And people look at history and just assume, oh, well, they're all doing the same thing. Right. They all right. got along. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. For sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, they, like, Marcus Garvey was more for all Black people, right? And you had uh, Northern Black people um, who had an elitist-like attitude. Mm. Right. And so they look down sometimes on black field people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff, whenever you learn that, you learn the motives behind things. And I'm like, you learn the whys. And then you look at the little details and you're like, oh, so that's why so and so did this. And you have to connect the dots. And I know that some people don't know how to do that. Actually, I know a lot of people do not know how to do that right and so yeah. i have to remember that um because it's it's it comes very naturally to me with like what to look for next or the questions to ask and that's why i just want people during this black history month and every year during during black history month this is why i educate about, about black history all year long mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this is american history Mm. Right. And I am not someone who is like, I don't think that there should be a Black History Month. No, I I do. Mm. I do think that there needs to be one because Carter G. Woodson started this month. Right. Like he started this month. We fought to have this month. Mm. 
Uh, like I think about black churches in history, um, 20th century that had church things to honor black history month, right? Like mm-hmm. what that meant to them, what that meant to my parents. Right. And so I want to carry that on, but I want people to see the bigger picture. I want people to see the reason why black history month matters so much and why it matters because it's about the bigger picture of the whole year. Like it's, this is not just one month. And mm. I just really hope that people are starting to, some people, cause you know, it's not happening with all people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> are moving <laughs> of, Oh, I should probably know this all year. And I should probably not perpetuate racism all year long. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> right, right? Like maybe I'll get all of this system of power and, um, wow. yeah, just, yeah, to just think about the things that are happening even now in like during Black History Month and the things that just continue to happen in our country, um, that continue to show that the fights that these black people before us put like started are the same things that we are continuing. And I'm glad that like the Black Lives Matter movement has been seen as like the 21st century civil rights movement, kind of. It's not the same thing, right, yeah. but it's similar, right? And I am glad about that because what people fail to realize whenever they want to sit here and say they love John Lewis, and I'm like, y'all literally almost killed him like 12 times. Um, <laughs> right? Like, y'all literally did not care about John Lewis. Like, you did not care about him. Oh my gosh. And like, they, they want to talk about all of these black people because it's easier to put them into a box whenever they're gone. And then mm. white people can absolve themselves of their responsibility in the system, right? It's, it, it's easier to, to do that. Um, it's, it's more pal- palpable. I don't know how to say that word. No. I always like mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I just think to myself, um, like y'all didn't, you didn't like them. Y'all didn't like Dr. King. You mm. killed him. Y'all didn't like Fred Hampton. The FBI killed him, right? And so it went into it, and he's a he's a twenty. And I think the other thing that like people forget, even myself, about Fred Hampton, he was twenty-one years old. Yeah, uh-huh. I have a nineteen-year-old daughter, yeah. two years away from how old he was when the FBI mm-hmm. went into his house yeah. and murdered him in cold blood. Like this, that is, and I think that's the richness of talking about the history because you start to talk about all the human details of it. Like it's not just, mm-hmm. it's not just a picture or something in a book, but it's like you, you make it human. Right. You, you think about what it would be like to be in those shoes. And, and man, your, your explanation a few minutes ago about Black History Month and why it's important is the best I've ever heard. Because I normally hear people on one or the other side I hear black folks like a couple years ago, white folks wanted to keep sending this this uh, video of Morgan Freeman saying that he didn't think we should have Black History Month. Um, and, and then you hear like folks talking about why it's so necessary. But like what you just said about it being both and was so powerful that it's it's of course we should be talking about the contributions and the epic history of black folks in the United States year round. Duh. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. people fought for this month for it to be a sacred space that says 
during this month, we 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 set aside everything and we say we're going to put our focus and our energy on the history of black folks. And I think that's and you naming the people who are responsible for it. It so resonates with me. So thanks for sharing that. That was that was amazing. Like you you were on a roll, so I didn't want to stop you and say that, but like that was super dope. So I'm looking at this picture on on your wall behind you, and it's one that like I see a lot. Actually, um, here in the Bay Area, San Jose State has uh, like a, a statue of this, and it's the moment from the Olympics with you know the, the two uh, black Olympians with their fists in the air. Yeah. Um, when people have art up on the wall, I assume it means something. <laughs> you yeah. know? So talk to me about that picture, man. Talk because that's that's one of those moments in Black history that like everyone's seen it, but, but yeah. maybe a story that everyone doesn't know. Yeah, um, this was at the Olympics in 1968, and it's um, Carlos and Smith, and they're standing behind this white guy, and they're holding their fists up, and people glorify this picture, right? And they take it and they're like, oh, but look, this is two, this is two black men and they're holding their fist up and black power. And yeah, they were standing up for their rights. And I'm like, do y'all know how you treated Kaepernick? Mm. Like y'all mm. really want me to think that you would even mm. care about these two black men that are holding their fists up mm. in 1968? Nah. Absolutely not. The yeah. same year, right, that Dr. King was killed, the se- the really the second year into the Black Power movement, y'all really want us to think that you wouldn't even care about Smith and Carlos. No, you absolutely wouldn't. And that's why whenever people talk about rights and protesting, I'm like, this isn't new, right? Like, kneeling isn't new. Um I love this image, Corey, because it, to me, just shows sacrifice, shows so much sacrifice, and it just shows, like, it's just really power. It's just always one of my favorite pictures, really, too. Yeah. But um, also, the white guy who's standing in front um, was from Australia, and he, apparently, in this picture, he's not holding his fist up, right, to show black power, but if you understand the picture what it shows is he was still standing with them though Mm. he still stood with them up there he didn't go sit down he didn't throw things at at them he didn't Mm. cut at them he stood with them and and he actually did an interview afterwards and he said that he did agree with them that Mm. the treatment of black people in the united states was horrible Right. And so he also suffered whenever he went home. His side of the story isn't told. But, yeah, he actually suffered whenever he went home and was called a traitor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. wow. Wow. Yeah. And so people may look at that and just assume that like, he didn't do anything. Right. And to an extent, I get that. But if but pictures are so loud, they're yeah. so loud. Uh, yeah. And this yeah. is something that's, that's extremely loud. And I want people who are listening to even go look up um, more about this picture and listen at some interviews with them because uh, they were real people. And they came yeah. back from Mexico to just be met with not getting their bronze and gold medals. Like, they didn't get their stuff. Like, they did not get their awards. Um, mm. They were seen as putting black power before the country, right? And so I'm wow. like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's always in one of my favorite pictures. 
in history. I have other stuff too that I haven't put up. I, I actually have a John John Lewis picture. I have a James Baldwin picture. Mm. Um, of course, I have a James Baldwin picture. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a ton of other photos, like just four by six pictures that I've printed off of just different people in history that I want to put up for like a gallery wall. Um, and some of them are people that I don't even know the names of. They're they're just people because. I like to be surrounded by stuff like that so that mm. I, it just helps me. It just makes me feel filled. I don't know. It just yeah. helps me feel filled while I'm yeah. writing and studying history and doing work. And um, I just want comfort. But yeah. That's, that's so, gosh, that's amazing. Like I, I'd never heard the story of the white dude in front of the two of them. Yeah. Um, I also, even as you're saying that, of course, you know, we've all drawn the, the, line or the comparison to, you know, Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick and the other athletes who, who mm-hmm. have taken, taken a knee. Um, but what you just painted for us was this picture of what it cost, the stakes, the, mm-hmm. like hindsight, we look back at this fist raise and a university like San Jose State would say, yeah, look, we're good. that's such a moment. We want to have that out in our, out in our quad for yeah. people to see. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, mm-hmm. it was the same as taking a knee. Like, oh, and during that time, it, you know, you, you were like to your point, you said they didn't even receive their medals. No, no. Because yeah. they put blackness ahead of the country. That That is freaking like, so, so yeah. right now. Like yeah. we're still being told not to put our blackness in front of the United States. Whenever uh, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and you have all these these white folks that were outraged, it was because like you don't do it. We even had black folks that you don't do it that way. Oh, we're, yeah. Amer- we're American first. You don't put you don't put that up. And it's like this is sort of the history repeating itself. And again, if you don't know the history, mm-hmm. if you don't take time to understand it, when you start hearing these like sort of undertones of the past, you just mm-hmm. don't. They just wash over you. You don't even realize what's right. happening. No, yeah. And, um, you know, people look at this picture and they're like, oh, you know, Tommy Smith, he was such an icon. And John Carlos is such an icon. And they represented what? And I'm like. Okay, so if you're saying that today in 2021, are you going to actually say things in favor of Colin Kaepernick and all the other black people who have protested for sports? But no, you're 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 not going to do that, right? Because you wouldn't have done it then. And so yeah. also, right, like with this picture again, understanding the historical context and how much, how dangerous it even was for them to do this, right? You have to think. This is 1968. The Civil Rights Act has been passed. The Voting Rights Act was passed. White people are so mad. I mean, they are furious. Mm-hmm. Schools are integrating because people think that schools were actually integrating after 1954. No, they weren't. Um, they were not. No, there, was, no. there were schools in the 70s that still weren't right. integrated. So, yeah. Right. I'm like, no, y'all, it's not, it's not going to work. And yeah. so you have white people who are feeling like their power is being taken from them. Mm. Oh, what does that sound like? Oh, sounds like 2020, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you also have 65. You had um, Malcolm X was killed. Um, Martin Luther King was killed. Um, you had uh, Black Panthers rose in mm-hmm. 1956. Um, you had Huey Newton seen as a national figure that was to be feared right Mm. we had angela davis who was rising to power like all of these things are happening in the country you also have states that are threatening to leave 
the United States again if they can because of all of this, uh, these voting rights acts and all these state things and all this stuff. And you have all of these policies and yeah, all this other stuff is happening. And then you have these two black men who are in the Olympics and winning the gold and the bronze medals and they stand up in Mexico and they raise their fists. I want people to think about the stuff that probably happened to them that they will never talk about. Mm -hmm. Like the number of death threats, the number of times like they couldn't even, they feared to even go out in public. Just things like that, right? And so whenever, that's why whenever I talk about reparations, I don't just mean the physical labor for free. I don't mean just that. I mean the mental and emotional crap Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we had to continue to put up. And this is 1968. This is 68. This is 20 years before I was born. It's not a long time ago, right? And so that's why, that's another reason why I tell people pictures are so powerful. Yeah. Because the picture only tells you a little bit. It only, and it just only tells you a little bit. And they're, but they speak volumes if you just take time to look at them. Yeah. Take a moment. Um, yeah. I saw, I saw that on MLK Day. Um, when I someone someone on Facebook shared a picture of Dr. King and it was there's a picture of Dr. King and there's there's two white guys pushing his head down and they're they're basically they're assaulting him. And I shared that picture and there were so many folks who said, I never saw that picture before. I didn't I did it was it was like we all understood and knew, I mean, at a certain level you had to know that they hated the man because they killed him. Right. Um, but at a certain level, I think characters from from black history and i hate that they even become characters mm-hmm. but that's what they become they become characters and at a certain level they're beloved characters today so you just sort of project back into history that they must have been beloved then too and yeah. that them him being assassinated is just an, an anomaly by some random person no this was state sanctioned and they hated him and so to your point about the pictures painting a thousand words i think that picture of dr king for so many people was like a a, a eye-opening moment that oh, like white folks have actually never treated black folks who are advocating for equality well mm-hmm. in this country ever in the history of the country. There's never been a time where like collectively white folks have just gone, "That's so great that you're trying to get more space." Yep. It's always met with a Bull Connor, yes. a Donald Trump, yes. a like someone is always there to try to suppress it and try to stop it. Always. Oh, always. And that's why whenever you have things happen, like the Capitol insurrection last month, and and I'm going to talk about that for just a minute. I know this is about Black History Month. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Up, it's just it, for people to look at that, right, and say that, oh, well, let's just go on about our lives now because now that's over. And we have a different president in the White House that we want to put as this white savior, right? So now, so now things are fine. That kind of thing happened. And I'm like, do you know the number of people that got beaten during protests since, well, ever, definitely, mm-hmm. but um, black people, uh, but definitely since 2012, there are people started protesting for Trayvon Martin and then 2013 with Black Lives Matter and then last summer with George Floyd and how... Anytime black people, right, like we take up space, mm. it's like it's like, oh, but this isn't your your space to take up. 
no, no, this, this isn't, no, we don't agree with, no, you're just being too much. You're just doing too much. And I'm like, but it's not too much with what white supremacists did. Right. And so these are conversations that people think are isolated from history and they're absolutely not because when you think about Dr. King, right. So that, that, that picture, Corey, that, that you're talking about, um, I'm like, right, y'all, that's why we say don't freeze him in 1963, right? Like, look at Dr. King and when he was in Chicago and see how he was treated, see how uh, rocks were thrown at him um, and how his head was bleeding, right? Like, like mm. go and actually take time to understand the records that the FBI had on him, how they bugged his house, how they did all, all these things, which is kind of why people are saying, oh, the government's not, like, watching us. Do you think they're not? Like, and I'm not trying to sound like conspiracy theorists, right? But I'm like, if they can honestly bug a landmine in 1952, yeah, come on. are you kidding me right now? Yeah. And so... People need to start opening their eyes and connecting these dots and stop wanting to believe it's not what it is because it makes you, right, have a different view of the country that you thought was for everybody, and it's not. It's always been two different Americas. It, it, it yeah. always has been. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do. Because yeah. I want people, right, to feel this. <laughs> I want people to want to do better, right? Yeah. To do better. But if if we're going to talk about doing better and, and like being better, y'all gotta gather your people because <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting out here. Um it is. Well not not only because of just the work, but one the last thing I want to ask you about, because when you start talking about black history, black storytelling, black movies, documentaries, yeah. there is always an element of trauma to it. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like I loved Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. We know that was a traumatic ending. I loved the movie from years ago with Malcolm X, with, with Denzel, Denzel Washington playing Malcolm X. Tragic ending. Yeah. I mean, you tell Dr. King's story, tragic ending. Like, there, there's always this trauma associated with looking closely at Black history. How do you look at that on a regular basis? You know, stay sane, stay joyful, stay hopeful. I'm sure it makes you mad because, you know, to yeah. quote, you know, we know the James Baldwin quote, to be even relatively conscious, to be in a rage on, 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 constantly. Mm -hmm. So how, how, do you, how are you managing staring at the face of this trauma and on top of that, trying to educate people on anti-racism? Honestly, you know, people ask me this question, and my honest answer is it is a divine strength. Hmm. I, Corey, I don't even know how to explain it, but I know that it is a divine strength because I can read stuff. And be like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to read something else. I'm going to do some more stuff. And I can keep going with it. Um, but I also do, though, now that I've been doing therapy and I've been seeing a therapist for the, since last July, because we all need to see a therapist. Because Every, for sure. Right. I've been, um, I see a couple of therapists. That I, <laughs> I can't even see just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I've started to learn, like, when I do need to recognize that I am being triggered or that I am feeling stress. And I don't, I wasn't tuning into that before mm. because it was more of, um, I have to read all the things, you know, like getting my master's in history many years ago, I was like, okay, I just need to read all the things, need to do all the work. And so I'll never forget speaking of Fred Hampton, when I first learned about Fred Hampton, it was probably 2012. Um, and I uh, went to the National Archives in 2013 to do research. And um, for people who have never been there, they have 
hundreds of thousands of like collections. Oh my gosh. And they have folders and boxes and like each one. And I remember I was going through some and I found um, some pictures of Fred Hampton's wife and, and things like that. And I remember the first time I saw the picture of the mattress, mm-hmm. um, what, what really happened. And I remember I um, also found a news story from the time that was never really aired nationally. It was aired um, in Chicago. And I remember the news story and how the cops were laughing on the news story. And um, they were mocking. Like you, you could hear it. You could see, you could hear it. And uh, things like that, I have to recognize how angry I get. Yeah. And I don't even realize the anger, but it comes out in other ways. It'll come out sometimes with like brush, like frustration. I'll get irritated with like some menial tasks sometimes or something. Mm. But also like I've learned how to deal with that. Um, I also, yeah, I honestly just as crazy as it sounds, maybe to some people, it's a divine strength. It's a, is something bigger than me. It's a calling yeah. bigger than me. It's a purpose bigger than me. Uh, I've always been able to, well, as far back as I can remember, I've always been able to just take things for what they are. Mm. And uh, reading history, I I want to tell the people's story. I mm. and and I know that to tell the story correctly, I have to bear witness to what mm. they went through. I have wow. to do that. And if that means looking at pictures of bodies or looking at um, joyful pictures or looking at struggle or looking at, looking at something that happened in 1932 that's happening today or looking at pictures of Tulsa or look at, mm. I need to bear witness to that because mm. that is what my faith is about is bearing witness, right? And um, yeah, so that's, Gosh, that's, <laughs> that's really a a short answer, I think, to it, kind but, but of. It's a rich, beautiful answer. That because yeah. I think divine strength is the thing, is the wind, is the force, the power, the energy that's animated black folks like you for, since we've been struggling. Like it's it's always been that, and, and and everyone would probably describe it the same way. Have different encounters with it. Not even, not even come from the same religious background, but but would probably try to describe it in a similar way. That's like, I don't know what it is, but there's something moving me, mm-hmm. and I I can't not do this thing. So, yeah. Lady, no, thank yeah, you so much. Exactly what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and it's like I I, I know for me, like, you know, God called me to do this. Mm. Um, sometimes I wish I liked math or something. <laughs> I wish I just like something else, but here I am. Um, but, but I am glad. And honestly too, Corey, another thing I do want to add real quick is, um, James Baldwin was like posthumously my mentor throughout grad school. Mm. Obviously he passed away in like 1987. Right. And yeah. So now I tell people that they're like, how is he your mentor? And I'm like, because I felt something. Mm. while reading James Baldwin and studying history and learning how to be the historian that I am and bearing witness, there was something with that. There was something with James Baldwin. Also, Toni Morrison. Mm. Those two taught me that it's bigger than just me, mm. right? It's, it's bigger than me. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Man, thank you for the work. 
thank you for coming on yeah. podcast again to talk about your work. Um, huge fan. Um, I, I just I, lo- I love your perspective uh, and and just the power with which you talk about things you talk about. So, thanks for coming back. Absolutely, thank you, Corey. This is great. Folks, that was Letty Shoemate, and uh, you can stay connected with her uh, on Instagram and through her Patreon. Both links will be in the show notes. I'd like to thank all of you who listened to this podcast and told your friends and family about it, and those of you who rated and reviewed it. Thanks to all of you. Thank you to all of you who are part of uh, our Patreon community, and uh, thank you for all of you helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.